From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. Mary, good morning. Good morning. Um, we want to remind you, if you are in northeast Wisconsin, Wisconsin, um, <laughs> there is a very important film documentary at the De Pere Cinema, Get Real Cinema, this Sunday, 1.15 p.m. Um, it's our dear friend Scott Shera, Grace's dad, the founder of Our Amazing Grace's Light Shines On, Incorporated, and it's called Breaking the Oath. And, of course, Scott has a lawsuit uh, against the hospital administrators for the murder of his daughter, Grace, 19, due to COVID protocols. You can get all the information. You can hear some amazing interviews at, at uh, this presentation Sunday afternoon, again, 1.15 p.m. in De Pere. That's on uh, George Street, and it's at 1.15. And then there, there's going to be people that are from the documentary there to do a Q&A at the end after the film. The documentary is over. So again, Breaking the Oath, the premiere, is this Sunday afternoon, De Pere, Wisconsin, right next to Green Bay. AmericaFirstProductions.com. First is 1ST. AmericaFirstProductions.com. You can get info. Uh, again, there's seats remaining. So Scott Shera and his story go to the recent podcast we did, I think, la- this Monday or Tuesday. And America1ST, which is First Productions. Our guest today has a brand new book out. It's called New World Order. And we are blessed to talk with Pete Garcia again. He's a retired military combat veteran and aviator, writer, researcher, speaker, teacher of Bible prophecy and apologetics. And he still has time to eat and sleep. Uh, He's a graduate of the U.S. Army's prestigious Command and General Staff College. Um, he was called to the Lord by the Lord to start writing at 33, and uh, some of you might remember he wrote for Jack Kinsella's The Omega Letter from 2011 to 2018, and he branched out. He writes, he speaks. Uh, we're just so blessed to have him on, and the book is phenomenal. Mary is raving about it. Pete Garcia, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it's good to be back with you, Dave. Hey, uh, great book. There's so much to get into, so let's just kick it off. With all the things that you could be writing out, and, and Terry James helped you with this as well, and uh, there's so many topics. The foreword is done by Mondo Gonzalez. Um, a lot of people have written about the New World Order, COVID, the Great Reset, and yet you guys decided to just, you particularly wrote most of the book. Why this book? Why now? And what new information can people get from it? I think it's definitely apropos for our time. There's been so many, uh, there's been so much change happening so quickly over the last 20 years that uh, I think that people, uh, particularly Christians, that that you know really hadn't really thought a lot about the world or the way things are going, have really had their worldview shaken, uh, especially since 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it's. It gives a lot of answers and reasons and, and kind of the story behind why things are happening the way they are. And, and you know, we look at that twenty the events since 2020 as being very uh, um, shocking and, and um, 
the change has been so tr- uh, tremendous. But really, this is a long game. Mm. This is this is this has been going on for a very long time. You know, even before the founding of the United States. But um, you know, I, what, what Terry and I tried to do was just kind of chronicle uh, uh, where this began, uh, and then kind of speed through the the uh, previous two thousand years. Uh, and then really kind of focus on the 20th century and where we are now, 21st century, and not just where we are now, but where things are going and where, where things will ultimately end up, the final uh, world order with uh, Jesus Christ ruling and reigning forever. Uh, uh, Pete, it's just um, a pleasure to talk to you today. You start out at the beginning talking about the first world order, and I don't think of the garden as a world order, but yeah. it really, really was. <laughs> uh, and and it, it didn't take long. We don't know how long, but it didn't take long for, you know, the world had become completely degenerate due to sin. You know, the days of Noah, the thoughts of men's heart were only evil continually. And what did that look like? Are we going to find out what that looks like? <sighs> you say it was the vilest world order of all and judgment fell. Well, what happened after that? Because there would have been people around who remembered the flood or who were told about the flood. Their ancestors were killed in the flood. Um, you know, what happened after that? Tell us a little bit about that guy named Nimrod. <laughs> Well, uh, certainly, you know, Noah and his wife and then his three sons and their, and their wives, uh, you know, uh, were the, the only world, the only uh, inhabitants of the world, you know, shortly after the flood. And as they journeyed from the east, as it talks there in, in Genesis 11, um, you know, they, they settled somewhere, in my opinion, somewhere in north, uh, northwest Iraq, south, or let's see, uh, it would be northeast Syria, um, and they they uh, they settled there. They would have had children. They would have passed on this information to their children, uh, what the world was like beforehand. And, and we just know from normal normal history how um, stories become embellished over time, and then you know you know true stories that become embellished, you know, eventually become uh, myths and mythologies and legends. And so there there became this great mythology or mythos about uh, the world before, you know, and it became what what people, you know, cultures around the world began to, to view as the golden age of man, where man mm-hmm. was nearly immortal, and, uh, you know, they had great strength, great intelligence, they lived for centuries, and, and really, when you think about secret societies, and you think about uh, all of these uh, religious pseudo-religious organizations that, you know, whether pagan or, or Luciferian or whatever, they, they are always promising that. They're promising that to take take man back to the Garden of Eden, take man back to this uh, paradisical age of, of uh, near immortality. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen, obviously, culture, entertainment today embellish that through superheroes and mm-hmm. vampires and all <laughs> kinds of things like that. But um, that's, that's where they promised to take man for all these years. Well, uh, you know, shortly after the flood, you have a couple of generations go by. You know, uh, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and one of his sons, uh, Ham, had a son named Cush. And it, you know, talks about how Cush, um, it lists out his sons, and then it separates this, this guy named Nimrod out, separate from the other sons. So Nimrod stands different, e- even from the get-go. We see his story unfold in Genesis 10. And he is a founder of cities, and he is a, a great uh, before the Lord. And, and some of the translations, it should say, against the Lord. He was a hunter mm-hmm. of men. And then in some cases, I believe in the Septuagint, he is listed as a giant. 
Um, so he could have been a, uh, a, some kind of, uh, a Nephilim or, you know, something like that. I don't know. And I, it's kind of almost irrelevant to the point, but the point that we want to make is that, that he was against God and he was really the world's first, uh, tyrant, the first world dictator. And it, and, and when you think about it, he's the only guy in all of history that has ruled all the world all at once, you know, the whole population. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. because of the, the, how small the population was at the time. Um, and, mm. and, you know, eventually between him and his wife, uh, Samarimus, uh, you know, he began the first world, uh, dictatorship and then she began the first world, uh, religion. And uh, so when we think about the, the phrase, uh, that we see in Revelation, uh, 17, the whore of Babylon, this, this, the, the mother of harlot, that is, that is where it all goes back to. It all goes back to, to Babel, where the whole world was united. And, and God, in his mercy, separated mankind um, because he knew that if mankind remained united, that, and he says it there in Genesis 11, that, that there wouldn't be anything withheld from them. And, and mankind would have probably destroyed itself a long time ago had man remained uh, united under one language, under one you know leadership, one kind of style of governance. Uh, so God separates mankind and and that is act as a form of restraint uh, uh, against satanic control, um, you know, in the in the millennia since. Yes, and he blocked the entrance to the Garden of Eden too, for whatever reason God had to do that. But you also mention in the book about um, access that humans may have had to a different dimension or different spiritual portals, and that this tower actually represented the golden age of some some sort of access to a different realm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we, 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 when we talk about uh, different dimensions and different, you know, portals and things like that, that all sounds very science fiction and everything. But <laughs> if we look at if we look at some of the um, the megalithic structures and the ancient sites that we see around the world, there's some places that defy our understanding of how they did it. Um, some of these stones are so massive or the stones are not um, original to that location where they're set up. And there's so many of them and they're, they're arrayed at such an altitude or an elevation, like up on a mountain or something that it really defies our understanding of how ancient cultures did that. You know, modern science and modern, modern academia has sold the, the, the public a bill of goods that, the ancients were brutish and, and stupid and, and knuckle-dragging uh, Neanderthals. <laughs> well, the, the truth is, is that before the flood, mankind was incredibly intelligent. And that as, you know, mankind, if you think about it this way, Adam was created perfect. He was perfect genetically, perfect in every way, shape, or form. He was the perfect human uh, before he fell. But even in his perfect, even when he fell, his offspring would have been the next genetic perfection and then mm. their generation. And, you know, we're, we're so many generations removed. It's like, <laughs> it's like if you took a copy of a picture, if you took a picture and you put it through a photocopier and you scanned it and then you took that copy and you, you made a copy of that and then you keep doing that over and over and over, eventually that picture is going to be unrecognizable. Mm. And that's where we are today. We're kind of like this uh, copy, you know, 40 times removed from the beginning. Well, uh, we know today that, that there are still remaining archaeological megalithic structures and sites around the world that defy our understanding. So there must have been some kind of technology that's been lost 
Uh, there's been some kind, you know, all there's been stuff that's been lost that we just don't understand how they did these things and how they knew these things. Hmm. So it's very likely that that the Tower of Babel, amongst other things, was served as a, some way, some gateway back to, um, uh, you know, their attempt, you know, at least to try and reach back to a, to the old ways um, before the flood, because you know, angels and and um, other entities began to interact with humans in a way that we see there in Genesis 6. Uh, we know the Bible says that the sons of God interacted with humans. These are the fallen sons of God. The, the fallen angels begin to take wives and things like that. So uh, it's likely that Nimrod and them were trying to tap back into that or trying mm-hmm. to find some way to reconnect back to the way to get uh, forbidden knowledge again. Interesting. Wow. That's, that's, that's fascinating, Pete. And by the way, friends, if you just tuned in and didn't catch the very beginning, we're talking with author Pete Garcia. The brand new book is called New World Order, the subtitle, Worlds in Collision and the Rebirth of Liberty. So I want to jump to, um, what direct correlations then, in light of what you just explained, can we draw from Babel, the Babel account in Genesis 11, to the Great Reset and the New World Order? Well, I mean, if we think about what Satan's long game is, it's, it's to get the world, you know, united back under one system that he controls. And if you read Luke 4, chapter 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness, uh, the temptations in the wilderness, one of the temptations that, that Satan uh, tries to get Jesus to succumb to is to worship him. And, and he says something very interesting here that, that often gets overlooked. And he says, then, and uh, this is Luke 4, 5, and, uh, 5 through 7, he says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I, I give it to whomever I wish. Mm. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. So to whatever degree, we know that Satan is God's, God's devil. Uh, God created him, and ultimately God has the, the authority over not just uh, nations, as it says in Acts seventeen twenty six, but over just the everything, you know, the whole structure, the whole... If, you, if we think about the flow of time, think about it as a river, and God has allowed Satan to go back and forth from bank to bank in a little kayak or something, and he can kind of maneuver within the, the banks mm-hmm. of this river, but the, the river is still pushing him in a general direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so yes. now Satan has had this... Uh, put on the minds of man to to unite and so for the last 2000 years he's he's tried uh several different mechanisms he tried uh religion uh well you know he's tried empires right the roman empire and all the empires that were listed in daniel chapter 2 with the statue of nebuchadnezzar the multi-metallic statue that listed all the subsequent gentile empires but He's tried religion, you know, he's tried, uh, you know, for instance, Roman Catholicism dominated most of the, the, the world, you know, the known world in, in, um, from about the 5th century through the 15th century. And, and now we've come to this age where technology has become really this, um, this new medium by which he is seeking to gain control. And, and obviously we know that that's the way it's going to happen because Revelation in particular, Revelation 11, Revelation 13, uh, and 17 talk about technologies that that uh, that will be used in the beast kingdom. And for you know, 2,000 years, theologians and students and scholars and you know, just people that were reading Revelation, the Book of Revelation, 
could, you know, scratch their head and they're like, how can one man control everything through this mark? And, you know, most people for, for generations just thought it was some kind of a tattoo. You know, well, a tattoo on mm-hmm. an individual in, let's say, Nepal, or, a, you know, how does that control somebody or connect to somebody in Brazil, you know? Uh, so there has to be some type of pragmatic functioning uh, technology that goes into this mm-hmm. mark, and it, we're the first generation that's had that. Mm-hmm. And so I know, I know that this is kind of, we're going back to this Tower of Babel moment where technology is going to uh, uh, unite mankind <laughs> Uh, not necessarily willingly, but but uh, through through force. Wow, and, and I keep thinking of that phrase, the days of Noah, because now that we've covered the early days, which sort of you know piques your interest, what was it really like? Well, now when Jesus says it's going to be like the days of Noah, now that really gets my mind going. And you have a chapter called "The Illusion of Modernity," and in the early 1900s, it seems like life kind of went along low tech, no tech for a long time. All of a sudden. You have the fall of the empires in Europe. You have nation states rising to the top. You have two world wars. We have technology. I mean, somebody flipped a switch. <laughs> Israel became a nation. The EU, you know, came together the same year, and and something really, really happened. What what is this illusion of modernity? Can you tell us a little bit more about what you were thinking when you when you wrote that chapter? Well, you know, it's uh, I really got the. Uh the inspiration from that, I guess, was from uh, a guy named Norman Angel, or Angel, or I don't know how to say his last name properly, but he wrote a book in 1910 called The Great Illusion, hmm. and he was trying to make the case that that through industrialization and modernization, capitalism, it would disincentivize war amongst modern nations. And this book came out in 1910. And it was, you know, gained wide circulation. And, and in 1913, it was, uh, you know, one of the, I think the economists heralded it and said, you know, well, war has become impossible <laughs> in mm. the civilized world. Well, you know, obviously the next year, we, the world enters World War One, And then for the next four years, you know, uh, um, most of Europe was engulfed in this horrific uh, war <clears throat> between the central and Axis powers and, and I, and, I, and I thought, you know, all of these things that we, uh, you know, champion as this is going to fix society, it doesn't. It just makes things worse. And, and in fact, uh, it comp- you know, I, I don't know if this is a real word, word or not. I, I use a complexify. It complex, <laughs> complexifies everything. And if we think back to when we were younger, you know, when you were kids, think about how simple things were. Um, and how much easier the world seemed. I mean, your your taxes—you could do it on one sheet of paper. Um, you you got you got a paycheck. You just took it to the bank and you cashed it, and, and that's what you had. You took out the money you needed, and you know, gas was be sent thirty cents a gallon or whatever. You know, I, when I was growing up, gas was uh, right around—I uh, want to say it was about ninety cents a gallon, ninety-five cents a gallon. Um, this was in the the late eighties. And so, you know, the world was simpler then, and, and as and as world as we've continued on, the world's become increasingly more complex, and all of this complexity is sold to us as, oh, this is going to make life easier. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about email. Well, if anybody's worked in a modern office, they realize that email has become this great ball and chain. It <laughs> um, <laughs> just traps people mm-hmm. to a desk or to a to an iPhone or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, it, it's an illusion, and, and but this illusion is increasingly trapping mankind 
um, you know, when when the, when the Patriot Act was was sold to the world in or to America in uh, 2001, the fall of 2001, you know, it, it passed. It passed as a law 30 days, almost to the day after 9-11. And it was promised to make us safer. And we've seen this abuse of this and how much uh, this technology has really become a snare around our neck. Mm-hmm. With the surveillance state and, the, and the, the intelligentsia gaining all kinds of powers that they didn't have prior to. So that's the illusion in it. And the illusion is that eventually this technology is, which is which was sold to us as making the world better is ultimately going to ensnare the world hmm. and this is what the beast kingdom uses to um to control everybody on the planet will it be a combo and the end game is it a combo of ai plus the supernatural days of noah kind of thing i i believe it will be yeah i, I believe that um well first of all um you know there's technology is moving really, really rapidly, but it's moving rapidly uh, amongst a, a bunch of different disciplines. So AI is one discipline, and you've got a bunch of different agencies pushing that. You've got quantum uh, uh, computing advancing along another way. And I, I ultimately think that it's going to be AI that's powered by a quantum system, because quantum is so much more powerful than um, our, our standard, even our standard supercomputers. Um, and you're going to need, if you're going to control the whole world from through one system, you're going to need a system that's most powerful enough to, um, to, to be able to process all that information, you know, trillions of interactions in a second, uh, every second, you're going to need a, a system that can handle that. And, and the thing about quantum systems that are, that are intriguing is that, you know, even going back to, to, um, Albert Einstein, he called it spooky action at a distance. He didn't understand how quantum <laughs> mechanics worked or quantum physics worked, but it, it, he knew it worked, you know, and Chuck Missler, you know, noted that as well later, you know, decades later. Um, it, it He has a quote that says, you know, it's impossible as it seems, and as crazy as it seems, it works. It, 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 it just, we just understand that it works. We don't know how it works, but mm. it does. Well, this is where I believe the the rapture and the removal of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit's ministry of restraint all kind of comes into play, mm-hmm. where things are being held at bay. We've plateaued with regards to technology. Mm-hmm. We've plateaued. And we do this every so many decades. We'll, a technology will go along and go along, and then eventually it plateaus, and then some new breakthrough thing comes through. <laughs> and then that goes, and that skyrockets for a little bit, and then it plateaus, and and so I think we're in this kind of plateau right now that won't uh, really begin to take off again until after the rapture of the church. Interesting. We're speaking with Pete Garcia, and the book is called New World Order, available on Amazon. You can go to uh, also Pete's website, a phenomenal website, if you want to get more information on his ministry, his articles. It's rev310.net. That's rev three one zero dot. Net. Okay, Pete, Chapter 7. We've got a, many guests, one in particular, J.B. Hickson, talks a lot about the Antichrist spirit of the age and Luciferianism. Well, you've got a chapter called The Luciferian Agenda, and you say Luciferianism in actuality is a belief system that venerates Lucifer as the morning star or light bearer and regards him as either the hero or the antihero in the human drama. 
And you quote, you start off the chapter with a fascinating quote, and a lot of people aren't familiar with, Saul Alinsky. There's a book called Rules for Radicals, and in that book he dedicated it to Satan. By the way, Pete, I know you know this. This book was on the recommended reading list on the National Education Association website for many, many years. Rules for Radicals for the teachers' unions and the, and the teachers on their website. Here, I'm going to read the quote and let you share the importance of this chapter and what you talk about in Luciferianism. Now, this is the book, Rules for Radicals. Saul Alinsky said, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical. From all our legends, mythology, and history, and who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. So Solinsky dedicates his book, Rules for Radicals, to Lucifer. A lot of people on the left, this is their, these are their marching orders, this Rules for Radicals. Make this connection with us in the Luciferian agenda. Well, the, the, the most successful lie, obviously, that the devil's per- perpetuated on the world is to convince the world that he doesn't exist. So this idea of Lucifer... Um, even to a guy like Solinsky, you know, he doesn't really believe in the devil. Uh, he might, I don't know if he's still alive or he's dead or not, but, um, these guys don't believe in the devil as we understand him. They, they see it as some kind of an anti-hero system that, that, uh, they can, they, they can gain the whole world, you know, that they sell their soul to the devil, that phrase, and they gain the whole world. And for them, it, it's really materialism. It's materialism and humanism. And this idea that we can become as gods, and Lucifer sells this 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 uh, facade to them, and he sold it to Adam and Eve. You know, when the garden, when he told Eve, you know, you know, God doesn't want you to eat this thing because as soon as you eat of this this forbidden fruit, you'll become like him. And and he's been selling that same lie ever since. Mm. And so, um, it's just interesting to me that um, Luciferianism has had a kind of a negative connotation over, you know, at least in the church age in the last 2,000 years. But now it's become um, in vogue. You know, it's become hip. It's become something that's being marketed, you know, by little Nas X and, and all these other celebrities that are doing the pyramid eye and they're, do, they're doing the satanic symbols. And, and even at the last, uh, I can't remember if it was the Grammys or... One of the music shows where yep. the guy comes out you know, yep. dancing, you know, in red and like, you know, dressed up as a devil. It, it's very much in vogue now. And, and basically, it, it kind of goes along the line that, that these guys have sold their souls, uh, to basically gain material wealth in the, in the present. And it, it's, it's sad. It, you know, it's just yes. a sad state of affairs that, that, and the, and it speaks to the blindness that we, we are in now. And, and I've kind of phrased, I don't know if it's unique to me. I call it the Antichrist zeitgeist. What? The, spirit of, <laughs> the what? It's the spirit of, spirit of the age, you know? Zeitgeist. That, that, that. I was looking at the word when you said it. The, it Antichrist, really weird. the Antichrist zeitgeist. Zeitgeist, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's, become, it's become in vogue to... Uh, the, the occult has become in vogue again, and I think that that really speaks to the decline of... of um, uh, Christianity within the United States, and then as as the U.S., you know, it's obviously it's declined in Europe a long time ago. It's near about 20, 30 years ahead of us. 
you know, spiritually speaking. But um, that's why we see the rise in paganism and, and, and the rise in postmodern uh, truth where if, uh, I think Charlie Kirk said, if you have many gods, you have many truths, hmm. you know, and many moralities. And that's why the church is being diminished these days, um, you know, even in communities, you know. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we've lost the platform on mainstream news a long time ago, but, but even within communities, you've got, you know, 16 different kinds of religion in, in one small city. Well, then who has the authority? And the only way to gain any kind of leverage back over the community is if all the groups come together, they set aside all their differences in some kind of ecumenical uh, mishmash of uh, um, uh, camaraderie, and then they come together to fight some kind of topic, you know, like climate change or uh, poverty or some other thing. But you're having to diminish and water down your own beliefs and differences in order to come together. So either way you look at it, <laughs> Satan is, is taking advantage of this. And um, and so we have the rise of paganism, the the diminishment of Christianity within the United States, which, you know, nations aren't Christian. There's no nation that is a Christian nation necessarily, but we were founded on Christian principles and Christian ideals and Christian morals and values um, that the pilgrims had when they came here in 1620 and it was later codified into the Constitution. And, and really, I'm not trying to venerate the Constitution as, as um, divine or anything, but it is definitely inspired. Yes. And, it's, and it's, it's, been, it's been effective to thwart this, uh, push this race for globalism for almost 250 years now, hmm. and uh, that's why we see the attack on it, you know, constantly in every form. And Satan and his his demonic hordes, which number probably in the in the billions, are relentless in this. They are relentless. They never stop. They never stop. They don't sleep. They don't take uh, siestas. They don't, you know. <laughs> They are relentless in their attack on it, and that's why it's incumbent upon us believers to constantly be in prayer and battling in prayer, because that's the weapons of our warfare. More with Pete Garcia and the book New World Order when we come right back on Stand Up For The Truth. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Pete Garcia is our guest today. The brand new book with author Terry James, New World Order. I highly encourage you to get it. It's Mm -hmm. packed, Mm -hmm. packed of great information. And I I just want to ask you, before we dive back into the book, um, we've been talking about the unfortunate weakening of the U.S. military, and it seems like it's on purpose with the Biden administration that there's been a two-year low in recruiting in all four branches of the U.S. military. And the Navy has even tried to, I guess, solve this by bringing in a drag queen representative to be an ambassador of, I guess, recruiting or, or tech. It's really tragic that this is how the world looks at America now. But in the notes of the book, Pete, it says, leading the charge are political left factions of progressives, liberals, and globalists. They are obsessed with merging ancient paganism into modern technology to excise God's created order via the Great Reset, and even the biological order the Creator determined is under assault from the human and demonic powers and principalities of Ephesians 6.12. As a former military veteran, Pete Garcia, what are your thoughts on what's going on with 
what the administration and the left is doing and how they're maybe using the U.S. military? Well, the uh, uh, there's a guy named Brock Adams. He was the director of, of the United Nations Health Organization, and he once said, to achieve world government, it is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism, loyalty to family traditions, natu- national patriotism, and religious dogmas. And I think I think what we're seeing with regards to the decline, uh, the diminishment of the U.S. military, is this this exactly this? It is to remove from the minds of men their national patriotism mm. and their ability to to hold to the values that that make a, that make the United States, you know, the, really the the greatest nation that ever existed, and. You know, part of that is is obviously our military is one of the most highly uh, or well received institutions within any kind of polling data. You know, who do they hold people in the highest regards? It's always been the military mm. for, for for many years. Yes, and so I think beginning back with the the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, that was just absolutely. Oh. I mean, I was. I that made my PTSD flare up watching that whole month of August. I was really upset because I'd been there, you know, a couple of times, and I and I thought this is the this this is the dumbest way to withdraw forces from <laughs> Afghanistan. I mean, I could have planned this whole thing a, a thousand times better. And you've got four star generals up there, and and all these other guys making these decisions to. That are getting that are getting soldiers killed, and it was really like anybody that served in Afghanistan could have could you know echo the same thing I'm saying. That was really the dumbest way to do it. Mm. So why did we do it? it it's intentional. Yeah. Um, you yep. know, Ken, Pastor Ken Ortiz likes to say it's too dumb to be dumb. You know, it's intentional. <laughs> intentional um, on purpose. Well. And, and you know that's you know the military is just one facet of, of Satan's attack on diminishing the United States. Yes, right. obviously gender, the family, the, the you know the nuclear family, uh, the institution of marriage, uh, life. You know whether we're talking about it, the, the the moment of life, conception, uh, you know abortion, euthanasia. All of these things are are become issues in our day that that have Satan's fingerprints all mm-hmm. all over them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete, I want to look at your chapter 14, Weapons of Mass Distraction. I, I think we title. all know what that means. But you open up with Second Thessalonians 2, 9-11, which says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason... God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And I've heard so many people speculate on what that lie is, but we were just talking about the Luciferian zeitgeist that is sweeping the planet. Common sense and reasoning are tossed out the window for those who did not receive the love of the truth. They are being given over over to and will come to embrace the great delusion when it arrives. Mm. Uh, As we've often said, a global-level crisis requires a global-level distraction. I believe the rapture will take all this up a notch, that it will be absolutely mind-boggling. I think that, you know, when people want to access their bank accounts after the rapture, well, you need to have this identifying mark. We need to know who you are. We need to know where you live. How are they going to... You know, there will be people's homes that are empty. There will be uh, just tons and tons of things that are left unclaimed. But then you talk about, um, 
you know, this delusion, this deception will cover every aspect of life, um, and it'll have to be explained away. There will be a great geopolitical delusion, a spiritual delusion, yes. a technological delusion. <laughs> what Can you expound a little bit on what you think that post-rapture world will be like? Are things going to accelerate like crazy? I mean, is that is that how God is going to use the rapture initially? Well, I think, you know, if we look at... Um Let's just take one one of these aspects uh, with regards to like uh, uh, let's just say UFOs, right? And since since uh, Roswell, which was I believe in 1947, um, it's really become on the minds of of Americans, and uh, it's increasingly uh, become something that Americans and Europeans and, and people all over the world really are. are come to accept as a, uh, you know, if you'd ask people, you know, 40 years ago, did they believe in UFOs? I think the general public would, they would know what they are and they probably would like, nah, not really. You know, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen one, but then you ask that same group today and that, that, that uh, percentage is, is shot way up. And in fact, in, I think in, in places like the UK, I mean, more people believe in aliens and UFOs than they believe in Jesus Christ. So <laughs> that says a lot. Uh, it, it, it seems like it seems like all of these things are are trending toward uh, uh, the supernatural, and and I think it's a form of desensitization that uh, you know whether through UFO sightings, whether through TV shows about it, movies, books, pop culture, music, etc. It's desensitizing us, and I think. Um, you know, we just, if we stand back and we look at the big picture of where things are going to happen, it seems like the most logical explanation that because the rapture happens the way it does, um, that, that Satan is going to use the same venue to deceive the masses that, uh, it was some type of, uh, extraterrestrial event that happened that it wasn't scriptural or it wasn't biblical or it wasn't Christian. And uh, he's going to confuse the masses, and Satan is all about confusing and lying to people. Um, and so that just makes the most sense in my mind, and, it, and given the uh, the vast increase, I, I don't know if I had it in the book or not, but there is a uh, the percentage of sightings um, between, I think, uh, I, I know it's on my website, um, there's a chart that a friend of mine puts together, um, it, but it, it goes, you know, from, say, 500 sightings in the 70s to like thousands and thousands of sightings here in the 2000s wow. and beyond. So wow. it, it, it's really increased hmm. uh, in, in scope and in uh, depth. And, and as technology, what's interesting to me is as technology has gotten better and we've gotten better cameras and more people have smartphones with mm. cameras on them and things like that. I mean, that certainly adds to the, the total volume that we're seeing happening. But yeah, it's, you know, these things are still so elusive, and they've been able to defy um, the laws of, of physics, you know, traveling at, at uh, you know, at you know 2,000 miles an hour and making a sharp 90-degree turn. Um, that's certainly not anything we can do or humans or, or any technology that we possess or even know of. Um, so I, 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 I tend to think that this is going to be the deception that Satan is going to use immediately after the rapture. Hmm. And... Uh, and, and that's why, you know, it's, it's, you know, a little side note on this, it's interesting <laughs> that in Revelation 3, uh, Jesus is talking there to the church in Philadelphia, and he says that he has the keys of David and the keys to the to keep the door open. The door's going to remain open, and I'm paraphrasing that. 
and I think that you know we look at now with the way that the mediums that we have YouTube uh, podcasts radios television that it it's been this uh, really open door for us to share uh, about prophecy about the rapture about the things that are coming on the world to such a degree that really didn't exist before and that they think that certainly trying to shut down all of these mediums and silence us and censor us so that this message doesn't go out. Because I think a lot of people are going to get saved immediately after the rapture. They're going to recognize what just happened. Mm. Um, but they will be in the minority, even though it would be many. You know, Revelation 7 talks about this great number of martyrs that are killed um, uh, that are that can't be counted from every tribe and tongue. Um, but really, the, the, still the vast majority of the population is going to overwhelmingly buy into this, this lie. Pete, let's jump over to chapter 13. I've been wanting to talk about wars and rumors of war. Russia is in a war with Ukraine. We've got rumors of a third world war. We've got Russia and China building their military. At least China is building their military. Uh, well, America is weakening ours. But uh, you quote propaganda. You define propaganda in this chapter about rumors of war. So we know what wars are from past history. And we understand how some might put out a rumor just to maybe instill fear in their enemies so they don't have to go to war. But how does propaganda play into this? And it's defined as the spreading of ideas, information, or rumor for the purpose of helping or injuring an institution, a cause, or a person. Ideas, facts, allegations spread deliberately to further one's cause or to damage an opposing cause. How does that play in to this chapter in Rumors of War? Well, you know, we, if we look at all the great periods of time, um, you know, you have the Renaissance, the Reformation era, you have the Age of, of, or the age of Enlightenment, the Age of Reason. Well, we live in the Age of Information you know, and we have for the last, you know, 50, 60 years or so. And it's, it speaks to the, the kind of warfare that is being waged against mankind. You know, it talks about in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and spirits and, and powers of dark forces. Um, and they use this influencing campaign to, um, to get men to do what they want to, them to do, whether through oppression or a possession. Yes. And, you know, we can simply look back at, say, the, the early 20th century with the Nazis and how, uh, I want to say it was Himmler, uh, who was the propaganda minister, who really just took, just took it to the next level, yes. right? Yes, wow. And, and we've, and, 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 and in line with, uh, you know, Operation Paperclip, if, for those who are familiar with that, um, we didn't just bring over Nazi scientists, but we, I think we adopted a lot of their information warfare campaigns and began to take those things and, and, and run with them through the development of the deep state intelligentsia op, you know, agencies like the CIA and NSA and all the other three-letter agencies. Um, and they've, they've really mastered this. And as technology is advanced, um, they begin to uh, find new ways to deceive people and they do it under the premise of oh well this is for national security you know this is for our safety that's right but uh, when when you make technologies like deep fakes or spoofing mm-hmm. or um uh you know just uh, there's so many right now 
um, that it's really effective in, in controlling the narrative. And that's what Satan is all about. And this even goes back to the previous discussion of the great, uh, you know, the, ma- the weapons of mass distraction. Uh, a global level crisis requires, mm-hmm. requires a global level distraction. Mm-hmm. And wow. Satan needs to control the, the narrative um, immediately after the rapture. So everything that we're seeing today is really going to that end, it's working to that end to develop the technologies that will be used to, to really control mankind immediately after the rapture. And I think, you know, the, the Holy Spirit has, you know, I mentioned earlier about, you know, technology kind of plateauing, and I think that the ministry of restraint that the Holy Spirit does doesn't just restrain evil whole, you know, um, wholesale, um, but it, 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 it also restrains mankind from moving too quickly, too fast, and so these technologies mm-hmm. get restrained as well. Mm. But immediately after the rapture, the world's going to move from uh, the normal, natural, to the abnormal and supernatural, <laughs> like mm. in an instant, and, and wow. the supernatural will become the new normal. Wow, yeah. wow. Pete, you have some great appendices in this book. Yes, um, Appendix yes. A, Human Government, Timelight Summation. Appendix B, History of Religion. These are such a great resource. Appendix C fascinated me. Uh, modern Progression of Technology and Philosophies. This is great because you have from 8500 to 1300, which would have been the Middle or Dark Ages, knowledge as a whole was doubling every 500 years until the uh-huh. 13th century. Yep. But then you go to the, the 14th century through the 17th, and it says general knowledge began to double every 250 years. Uh, from 1600 to 1800, uh, general knowledge doubled every 150 years. And then we go through the Age of Reason, the Industrial Revolu- Revolution, uh, the Second Industrial Revolution, which would be the, the uh, late 19th century. Technology, uh, technological knowledge doubled every 25 years. So now you get to the point where we're getting some personal computers. The third industrial revolution, technology doubled every 15 years. That would have been up to the year 2000. Then eight, 1980 to 2000, technology doubled every 5 to 10. Um, and then by the time we get to 2010, uh, every 18 to 24 months, now we're talking about, and this is fascinating, from 2020 and beyond, the age of virtual augmented reality, you say IBM, Google, Apple, etc., are attempting to get the knowledge doubling curve down to every 12 hours. That boggles my mind. And we talk about revelation, and you mentioned something about at what point does technology surpass what's, what is documented in Revelation? What did John see? Is that kept simplified for the sake of us humans? Is there something more to the technology at that point? Uh, can we know? Does it just mean that the, revel- that the rapture is very, very close, or is there something far deeper going on there in Revelation? Well, Revelation 11 and Revelation 13 really kind of highlight that the, really the two um, stark examples of technology that theologians have, have wrestled with for 2,000 mm. years. They tried to understand how this how this could be. Mm. Revelation 11 is the two witnesses that are killed. They're, they're there for three and a half years, basically being a huge thorn in the Antichrist side. Uh, but in the three and a half year mark, uh, the, they are killed, and their bodies are left on the streets in, in Jerusalem, and the whole world celebrates, and, then, and the whole world can see their bodies laying in the street. Well, Obviously, that technology, you know, people wonder, like, how can that be? And mm-hmm. before the age of television, people wondered, how could that be? And then television came along, and people, you know, this is before, you know, um, global broadcast and satellite television and things like that. People still were wondering how that could be. 
And then, you know, the 1980s and 19, uh, I think it was the late 80s when CNN became the, the, <laughs> the, the first newscast that, that was reporting live from places. And, and then it, it became normal, you know, mm-hmm. we become desensitized to this technology. And I think that, uh, same thing with the mark of the beast, right? You know, for, for millennia, people thought it was a tattoo. Then people thought it was maybe a barcode. A barcode, a right. code. Yeah. And then, and then they thought maybe, well, maybe it's a, an RFID chip. And then now we have things like quantum dot tattoos. And so, uh, certainly we don't know exactly what the mark's going to be, but we know that it's going to have some kind of a cyber physical component to it that, that connects the, the economic system with a, a health system or some kind of a, a biological system. So now what are we seeing today? We're seeing these two great crises in the world. The, the World Health Organization's push for uh, health ID because of the, the 2020 pandemic. And then we're also seeing the banking crisis uh, where, they're, where they're intentionally collapsing uh, fiat currency, you know, paper currency, so that they can bring online this uh, digital currency in the form of a central bank digital currency. So we're going to see these two merge after the rapture of the church into whatever the technology that ends up becoming the mark of the beast. And um, certainly it's something like a quantum dot tattoo. Mm-hmm. Somebody can Google that and look at it. it. It certainly fits the bill. I don't know if that's what it'll ultimately be. But we see these things and how they trend towards that. And you have companies like Google, IBM, Apple, and all these other that are that are just rapidly advancing these things. Hmm. Uh, thinking, thinking that they are going to, you know, bring in this new era of of human greatness, you know, the singularity or whatever, and uh, really they're just working to uh, Satan's uh, final end state. <laughs> so hmm. they're doing his his legwork for him, and he's ultimately going to use it to destroy them. Yeah, they're minions. Um, so Pete, again, friends, the book is called New World Order, and Pete's website is Rev. 310.net, rev310.net. We know the topics of the last days that we are in now can be really terrifying to some people and potentially overwhelming. Some people don't like to keep track of all this stuff. Some people don't like to watch the news or keep up, you know, as far as Christians in this world but not of this world. But why are the last days also a source of hope for the believer? Pete Garcia. Well, I'm quoting Adrian Rogers. He said that the world is growing gloriously dark, and he goes on to explain that that uh, that as as things begin to disintegrate and fall apart, um, you know, and then to quote Jim Markell, things aren't falling apart; they're falling into place. Yeah, and that, yep, that yeah. goes along with what Adrian Rogers says: is that the worse things get, um, the the closer we know we are to the Lord's return for Amen. the church. So, Amen. Um, that that offers a great hope because. Um, not only will we be removed from this the the coming storm that's going to happen upon the earth, but we're also going to be uh, entering into that final process of our salvation. You know, salvation is kind of uh, uh, threefold if you think about it. There's the justification, which is a one-time event uh, where you become born again and sealed by the Holy Spirit, and then there's sanctification, which is your lifelong processing or maturing in the faith, if, if you know, as it were. Uh, and then finally is the glorification, which is where we receive our new bodies and and our our eternal uh, glorified bodies, and that is so we can go and live where Christ lives. You know, right now the human body is very frail; we can't really live. You know, we can't live underwater. We can't live in outer space without being augmented by technology. 
Uh, we were confined to this little bitty atmosphere on this tiny planet, uh, spinning around the sun in a, in a small galaxy and, you know, in a huge universe. Uh, so, but once we are in these glorified bodies, we will no longer be constrained to this world. And so, um, or there's even this dimension, really. Um, so I think there's a lot of hope for, for people uh, to kind of look at the, the way things are trending, and we know that, that Christ's return is all the sooner. So mm-hmm. that's that's where we end up in the book, and I talk about the final world order, which will be uh, the one with Christ ruling and reigning forever, and, and us living with Him and with the God that we will never be bored with. I mean, think about a trillion years from now, we will still be wowed by what God can do and what He's what He's doing for us. He we will never find the end of God, and uh, mm-hmm. He's really going to be um, uh, someone that we uh, just be <laughs> in continual amazement and wonderment forever and ever. And mm-hmm. that's a glorious thought. Mm-hmm. What a time to be alive, right? Amen. I think Amen. over the Christmas holidays, we think of in the fullness of time. Well, here's another fullness of time. We have the fullness of the Gentiles. We're approaching the end of the age. Um, it's just incredible. Any any last thoughts on the church? Because the church is in a bit of a mess. There's a yes. lot of apostasy and false teaching. Oh and and so we kind of got to circle the wagons here. What you have any advice for churchgoers who are just vexed and can't even find a good church, but we're <laughs> trying to endure to the end? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's the, really the great challenge these days is where to find a a church that teaches the whole the whole Bible. Uh, and does so in, in an honest manner. Um, I would just encourage people to, uh, you know, in the army we had a phrase called embrace the suck. <laughs> and that is just to lean into the storm, yeah. uh, recognize that, that, that whatever time we have left is not long at all. And whether right. that's a, a day, a month, a year, five years, even 10 years is not long when you look at, look at it in, uh, in light of eternity. Um, so we embrace the suck. We lean into the storm. Uh, we get busy sharing the gospel with our friends and family. I have a I have a platform. I have a, a website. I do interviews and things like that. But each one of us has a circle of influence that mm-hmm. we can reach out, and and we are little bits of light, little little pieces of salt in a community that we can influence people. There's people out there listening right now that they can influence people that I will never reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that 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 is the mission field that God's given each of us. Amen. And we do the best we can with the gifts and talents that we have, and, and ultimately, God judges our He judges uh, not our results, but but um, the, our heart in how we do these things. And um, and whether you find a good church or not, you still have a Bible. Lean into the Bible. Lean into the Lord. That's right. Uh, ask ask Him for understanding and discernment. And we definitely need a lot of discernment going forward. Oh, the yeah. churches, like you said, it's it's in a mess right now, and you've got a lot of churches who are messed up in their eschatology. Um, trying to uh, do the wrong things at the wrong time and and at the wrong place for the wrong audience, yeah. and uh, it, it's creating uh, really chaos. And that's how Satan likes it. He's mm-hmm. he's introducing all this chaos. But mm-hmm. but Jesus said in Matthew sixteen uh, eighteen through twenty that that you know uh, he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So uh, we take comfort in that, and we take comfort in a, in a God that never changes, and that He is also long suffering and, and loves us. And always works everything to uh, not only his glory, but for good. Amen. In our own lives. Amen. Pete Garcia, the book is called New World Order. Thank you so much, sir. God bless you. Lord willing, we'll do this again. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. You're again. welcome. Um, of course, Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which 
Also, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Monday is a news show. We're talking about the PBS NewsHour. Four more companies to go full Bud Light, daring consumers to boycott. We're going to talk about Biden's border crisis and the Cloward-Piven strategy on the border to crush or overwhelm the system. Also, the Durham report, which shows the FBI is a threat to democracy. And a man on the cover of Sports Illustrated in a swimsuit. What could go wrong? So much more to cover. And then we also will do a new show uh, Tuesday, Mary and I will. You'll hear from Holly Pivik on Wednesday. Reggie Littlejohn, Thursday. Pastor Steve Smotherman on Friday. Friends, thanks for sharing the podcast and for your prayers. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.